Today we're going to begin a new series called God Questions. This is the first um, question we have this morning. And uh, the question is, is God real? You know, that's like a really tough question, but it's pretty thought-provoking. And uh, I'm going to invite you to listen in. In 1998, I witnessed an historic debate at the UW-Madison in the UW Fieldhouse, along with 4,000 other UW students. I was not a UW student. Seminary professor and author William Lane Craig debated British philosopher and atheist Antony Flew. Now, I admit that some of the discussion was over my head a little bit, or quite a bit. For over a half a century, Antony Flew was the most noted atheist in the world. In 2004, he shocked the intellectual world by publicly announcing that he had changed his mind and now professed faith in God. As a philosopher, Flew was committed to go wherever the evidence led him. And that would be the true nature of a philosophy student, is to go with truth. In his book, um, by the end of uh, his life in 2010, Flew argued that atheism was not logical. In his book, There is a God, Flew tells about his early exposure to the uh, origin of humans. The argument went like this, given enough time and chance, life on planet Earth could have just happened without God's design. That was the great argument of the 20th century. Um, the well-known experiment designed to support this theory asked this question, how long would it take an infinite number of monkeys typing on an infinite number of typewriters to produce a Shakespearean sonnet? which has about 744 letters. The British Council of Arts attempted this experiment in 2003. They didn't have an infinite number of typewriters, but they chose a limited, uh, um, they chose six monkeys, put them in a cage with one computer for one month, and then they watched them. And it cost about $3,000. And um, here's what they discovered they typed five pages but not one single word and as a word they were counting as one letter it had to have one letter with spaces on both sides and uh, flew uh, estimated that that's one in 27,000 chances for a monkey to type a one word one letter one word to write a Shakespearean sonnet would be 10 to the 690th power. That's way too big for me. Uh, so that's one with 690 zeros. So one scholar put it this way, if you took all of the particles in the universe, that would be like all the atoms, neutrons, and protons. If you took all the particles in the universe and turned them into tiny microchip uh, computers, and allowed them to turn out letters, 288 letters, a million times per second. That would get us from the beginning of time until now, 
without any words. And the rest of the equation would be another 10th to 600 powers, one with 600 zeros before you'd get one word. So here's the deal. Antony Flew, a lifetime atheist, throughout his life and the research he'd done, came to the conclusion that it was absurd to believe that there isn't a God because time plus chance will not produce intelligent design. Um, that's a brief story of one atheist who changed his mind. And uh, so we're going to talk today about the first God question. Is God real? So the answer is yes, and let's go on to the next question. <laughs> Thank you. Um, it's a great question, and I don't have all the answers. There have been books written about this one question. Lots of books have been written, and uh, so I, don't, I won't give you probably something you've not heard, but I do want to give you some reasons why um, it's reasonable to believe in God. I want to offer some reasons to believe in the true and living God. So, um, so before we begin, I'd like to offer this advice. And first, I want to give some advice to those of you who consider yourselves followers of Jesus Christ. And I want us to look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. This is from last week. This is our intro. And Apostle Peter says, But in your hearts, revere Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect. Always be prepared to give a reason. You may not have questions about whether God is real or whether God exists. But there are people around you who do. If you listen carefully today, will you be better equipped to answer people's questions? I'm asking you to hang in there and think with me, okay? To the skeptic, I want you to see Isaiah 55, verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found and call on him when he is near. This is an invitation to every person. I want to encourage you, pursue understanding whether God exists or not. God wants you to find the answer to this question. So continue your search. Seek the answers that you need because God can handle any questions that you throw at him. Finally, to everyone, Matthew 7, verses 7 through 8, the words of Jesus Christ. He says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. God's okay if you ask questions. You can ask questions directly to him. You can ask him to show himself to you. So I want to encourage you to ask. I want to encourage you to be willing to seek for answers. Answers to questions that you have, okay? 
I may be talking about a question today that you don't have, but seek the answers. So I'm going to begin and talk about three options today um, about this whole subject, is God real? Option number one, God does not exist, and that's what we call atheism. Don't believe in God, okay? Uh, When I first went to college at the age of 20, I took an earth science class, and that's when I really got exposed to uh, the whole concept of evolution. I I had some exposure in high school. I really didn't pay attention. Um, You know, I took biology and science, and I saw, you know, the pictures of the horses. That was really a big deal back in those days. You know, this is how the horse evolved to becoming the horse we have today. Um, I'd been raised going to church on and off, and I considered myself kind of a nominal Christian. I took a class in the history of Western civilization uh, the first year of college from an atheistic professor, and it was one of the best courses I had in college. Uh, After majoring in philosophy, where the chairman of the department was an atheist, seemed to make a whole lot of sense to me that I would be an atheist. And so I became an atheist because that's what thinking people did. At least that's what I thought. Um, So I held the proposition, there is no God. That's that's what I came to with a little dabbling of college education. Um, So I want to start by asking a question, if it's okay. And the question is this, is it possible to know that God does not exist? Have you ever looked at it that way? Is it possible to know that God does not exist? So um, I had the graphic department work on this all week, so we have a great graphic to show this. First of all, we have a circle, okay? This circle represents all of human knowledge. It represents all scientific knowledge. It represents all historical knowledge. It represents all biblical knowledge. It represents all spiritual truth. It represents all religious truth. It represents all psychological truth. Uh, It represents all truth found in technology, okay? All knowledge, all human knowledge. Now, you're pretty smart. How much do you know? So we need a dot, okay? You may know more than that. I don't know that much. But when you consider all of human knowledge and you put it in how much you know, it's really not very much. The smartest person in the world really doesn't know very much when it comes to all human knowledge. So this represents my knowledge, all right? Now, um, is it reasonable to say, I know God does not exist. Um, And here's my point. I think to be able to say that that you know that God does not exist, you would have to have all knowledge or you could miss it. Okay? 
At least I want to stretch your thinking. It could be a little prideful to say you know that God does not exist if on the amount of information that you currently have. Okay, Um, so this view is that God does not exist. That's the first option. What are the implications for human life if God does not exist? When I was in college, I studied the French existentialist Jean-Paul Sartre, and he concluded that there are no givens. There was a year or two in college, I thought that was pretty cool. There are no givens. What does that mean? It means that since there, are, there is no God, there are no absolutes in the universe. There is no moral compass. Um, life is up to each individual being to find meaning. It's up to the individual. Another way that we used to say it is man is the measure of all things. When I heard that in college, I thought, that is cool. That I have an opportunity to make something out of my life, and I am, I am the measure of what's important. And uh, over time, I began to see that's kind of dangerous. When man becomes the measure, because it's my opinion against your opinion. If God does not exist, we know the universe is expanding and will eventually burn out. Think about this. If the universe eventually burns out, everything will be cold and dark and lifeless, and there would be no meaning at all to life, because there wouldn't be any. If God does not exist, man is just an animal with instincts and needs. There would be no right and wrong. Um, uh, people's choices could lead to rape, abuse. It would be about survival of the fittest. Values like honesty, love, equality, and brotherhood really wouldn't matter any more than treachery, selfishness, or deceit. Their choices, individual values. If God does not exist, what is the purpose of life? Is the only purpose to survive and or win? What is the significance of this life? I'm born, I live, I die, I decay, go back to dust. But it comes back to an atheist has to come to the perspective is man is the measure and I choose what's important. And hopefully society will choose important things. Uh, Atheism is a choice of faith. Now follow me. It's a choice of faith. It is a belief system. It is based on a theory, not so much knowledge. Okay, just hang in there with me for a while. So God does not exist. That's option one. I want to look at option two. God may exist. This is called agnosticism. And this is kind of cool because people kind of vacillate back and forth. Today I'm an atheist. Tomorrow I'm an agnostic. It depends on who I'm arguing with. God may exist. Um, First, the problem of proof. And I hope this is insightful. The problem of proof. Um, 
One of the things that we run into in, in any kind of arguing or debating, I mean that in a good way, arguing or defending a position, is um, if a person is intellectually or spiritually closed to an idea, to a question, they're likely not to respond to the evidence honestly. Now, that's what happened to Anthony Flew. He got to a point in his honest search that he changed his mind when he evaluated the evidence. Now, here's an example. If somebody has an anti-supernatural presupposition, that means they, have a, they come into the argument with a view that miracles are not possible. That's an anti-supernatural presupposition. Miracles are not possible. So explain to them the resurrection of Jesus Christ and what happens. You can give them all of the evidence in the world but miracles aren't possible, therefore it can't be true. That's kind of a roadblock to understanding truth or knowledge. Um, some people demand scientific proof in answering this question, is God real? And, you know, that would sort of like require, well, let's put God in a test tube and let's measure him. And if I can... I can see him or taste him or evaluate him, if I can touch him or if I can actually hear his voice, then I can make some kind of judgment about whether God is real or not. The scientific method of control and repeatable experimentation is useful for achieving a great deal of our knowledge. Like smoking cigarettes increases the probability of lung cancer. High cholesterol can lead to heart attacks. I don't always appreciate that one. The temperature today will reach approximately 47 degrees. And tomorrow, approximately 38 degrees. It's nice that we have information that because of science, we can look at data and come to a conclusion about probability, what it probably will be this afternoon. We know from science that water consists of two parts, hydrogen and one part, oxygen. That's really good to know. We know that the Earth orbits the sun. However, there are other kinds of knowledge besides scientific knowledge. There is historical knowledge, eyewitness accounts of things. By the way, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John were eyewitnesses. There is historical knowledge that has value. Um, philosophical knowledge, personal knowledge. You have knowledge that I don't have. Is it valid or not valid? Because I don't have it. Personal knowledge. Um, religious knowledge. Spiritual knowledge. There is a realm of knowledge that scientific knowledge cannot touch by its very nature. Um, all of these are outside the scope of scientific knowledge. Verdicts in a court of law are based on legal historical proof, not necessarily scientific proof. Yes, scientific proof can be used in a court of law, but that's not the basis of the verdict. Another thing to think about, the problem of proof, some people are looking for absolute proof. You know what? There are no decisions in the world to get made on absolute proof. 
We make all kinds of decisions without absolute proof. We're looking for reasonable proof. proof. And, you know, uh, I mentioned this already, but God, by design, the nature of God is he is not necessarily going to be perceived by your five senses. That's going to rule out the realm of the scientific method. He could be. He could choose to be from time to time, but that's not his nature, okay? Um, So that's the problem of proof. Now we're going to look at the cosmological argument. This is the argument of cause and effect. This is a natural naturalistic argument. It means it's an argument from nature, okay? So we're not talking about the scriptures here. We're talking about looking at nature. It's the argument of cause and effect. This deals with an indirect look at the evidence. This deals with the question, why is there something instead of nothing? This is what the the atheist has to ask, ask this question. Why is there something? Why is there a universe instead of nothing? There is something. This argument looks at the universe and asks, where did it come from? So, here's a proposition. Stick with me here. And here's the proposition. If anything now exists, something must be eternal, or something not eternal must have emerged from nothing. Does that make sense to you? Okay? If anything now exists, does the universe exist? Then something must be eternal. Is the universe eternal? Or something not eternal must have emerged from nothing. So the universe must have come from nothing. That's the logic of it. So stay with me. Alternative number one to argue this, the universe is an illusion. What do you think about that possibility? It's not a very good alternative. Uh, some people have come to this conclusion while on drugs. Uh, some Eastern philosophers have argued this. It is really self-defeating. It's like saying, this is an objective fact. There are no objective facts. Um, It denies all sensory data. So everything you know about the universe, it comes through our senses. And to say it's an illusion, it just would deny that totally. Uh, Certainly would deny the scientific method. Alternative number two, the universe is eternal. This is probably not reasonable. It says matter is eternal. Excuse me, is eternal. Will not degrade or decay. Has always existed and always will. If matter is eternal... The earth has always been here, the universe has always been here, and it always will be here. Three, three reasons why it is not. First, the Big Bang Theory, widely held scientific theory. It's, yes, it's also a TV show. Never watched it. The Big Bang Theory holds that the entire universe had a beginning with space and time. The discovery by Edwin Hubble that the universe is uniformly expanding in all directions, led George Gamow to this Big Bang Theory. Gamow believed matter was compressed into an unimaginably dense and hot primordial atom, okay? This, this one takes faith, too, that exploded, that exploded causing an ever-expanding universe. This is a widely held theory. The main idea is that the universe had a start in space and time and therefore is not eternal. I may not have to convince you that the universe is not eternal, but this 
You have to reason through to help people see evidence. Another reason why the universe is not an illusion is the presence of hydrogen in the universe. Um, there is an abundance of hydrogen. hydrogen. Hydrogen is being converted into helium through the process of nuclear fission. Don't ask me to explain that. Um, this process takes place in the core of stars, and it, this process is irreversible. If the earth were infinitely old, one would expect that hydrogen would now be depleted. Uh, the abundance of hydrogen tells scientists today th uh, that the uh, universe had a beginning in both space and time. The next one is one you'll be a little more familiar with, the second law of thermodynamics, which states the quality of energy in the universe is constantly declining. That's why you're getting older, or why I'm getting older. That's why your car rust and the paint falls off your house. Um, as useless and random energy increases, useful energy decreases. Simply put, the universe is in the process of running down. It will run out of useful energy. Energy. The stars will burn out. The sun will burn out. The earth will be left in darkness. It will be frigidly cold here on earth. It will be totally disorderly unless some kind of outside agent comes to the rescue of the creation, the earth, and redeems it. So, second law of thermodynamics says the earth isn't eternal. It's falling apart. Third alternative, the universe emerged from nothing. Stay with me here. The universe emerged from nothing. This is an exciting perspective. Reason and logic teach us that nothing comes from nothing. Can I say that again? Nothing comes from nothing. To have an effect without a cause is not logical. It does not fit with scientific investigation or rational thought. Alternative number four. The universe was created by an eternal being. This view is not very popular with atheists. Um, and by the way, when it comes to the Bible, the Bible doesn't try to prove the existence of God. It doesn't try to prove the ex existence of God. The Bible assumes the existence of God from the very first verse through the entire Bible. Okay? So, you're coming with an assumption when you come to the Bible. I think it's a good assumption, but don't expect the Bible to prove the existence of God. Um, under alternative number four, the universe was created by an eternal being, being the principle. The universe is an effect that is contingent on a cause that is beyond it. This is kind of the, also the cosmological argument, the argument of cause and effect. The only sufficient cause is an eternal and necessary being. This being would have to be separate from the universe, not decaying or falling apart. 
this eternal being uh, would be transcendent. Um, and this eternal being does not need to be attached to the universe to survive. And one of the big problems that comes up when you start talking about um, God creating the world, God creating the universe, one of the big problems is, is where did God come from? That's the problem of infinite regression. Who created God? Uh, Aristotle cause, called God the first cause of the universe, the first principle of the universe. He called this principle the unmoved mover. He was trying to find God. And he had some good ideas about God. Um, he wasn't relying on the Bible in any way. And um, no one caused God. And we, if we come to the scriptures, we see God is eternal. Uh, he was not created. He is self-existent. Uh, he existed before creation. Now, when you uh, make an argument like this, like proving does God exist, it is really too much to say you can prove, at least in one argument, that the God of the Bible is the God who exists. We're primarily focusing on that God exists. It's a view of theism, um, the belief in God. Um, so the question is, uh, we have a universe, why do we have something instead of nothing? Uh, the most reasonable answer is that God is the cause of the universe, and I want to develop this a little bit more. You see, we're just gradually working through this. We can't answer it all at once. Um, Option number three, God does exist, theism. I'm going to go to another uh, naturalistic argument. It's called the theological argument, the argument of purpose. These are good arguments, okay? Some of you, this is, stay with me, okay? The teleological argument. The argument recognizes that we live in a world of order, complexity, and symmetry. Science itself is built on the assumption that the universe is orderly and predictable. The teleological argument looks at the design in the universe. Um, the design of human life, the, the design of animal life and plant life, it observes that the environment on the earth to sustain life and says... Um, this is not because of time plus random chance. The design of human life. The, the birth of a newborn baby. A sunrise in the morning. A sun down, uh, sun setting at night. Not the result of time plus random chance. Over and over again like a monkey hitting a typewriter key that there is a designer behind the whole thing. That's what this argument is about. The design of a computer is child's play compared to the intricate design of a human living cell. Um, personally, I believe it requires more faith 
to take a position of atheism than it does a position of theism. To me, it's a whole lot more logical and easier to believe than to believe we came uh, over time plus chance. Uh, it is hard to believe that chaos produced order, that lifeless matter produced life, and that the accidents produced purpose. Um, here's what the Bible says about the creation. We have a universe. What, what, what's the deal here? Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. What's, what's going on here? The scripture says is the creation itself is communicating to us. It is speaking to us. Next slide. Uh, they have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. Scripture is saying the universe itself is sending out messages. There's something behind the creation. There is something bigger than creation. There is a designer behind all of this. Next argument. That's a teleological argument. The next argument is the anthropological argument. This is the moral argument. This argument acknowledges that humans have a moral conscience. We have a sense of right and wrong. We have a sense of honesty, wisdom, and courage. We have a sense of righteousness, justice, and mercy. Uh, these characteristics are found in all primitive cultures. And where did this sense of morality... Any, any culture, any primitive culture will establish a moral code. Okay? may not be a perfect code, and it may not be identical to the Bible... But it will be a code, and it will be about right and wrong and violations and guilt. Uh, where did this sense of morality come from? Is it just the survival of the fittest? Is it just time and random chance that this concept of morality came from? The anthropological argument says, no, that this moral character came from something outside of their own existence. This moral character came from God because God is a moral being and uh, he has created humans in the image of God. And so there are character traits that, that uh, humans have that God has given them that resemble something of what he's like. That's the anthropology anthropological argument, the moral argument. This is an argument from nature. If I just look at, if I just look at uh, people, this is uh, what I discern, that there is a uh, morality among human beings and it can't be explained with time and chance. Next, the impersonal versus the personal God. Personality is about having... Um, Intellect, emotions, and will. 
How can random matter produce intelligence? How does random matter produce emotions? How does random matter create a free will to make choices? How does random chance identify beauty and art and architecture? How can random chance produce abstract thoughts about justice, wisdom, or love? How does impersonal matter produce personal beings? And again, the Bible says God created man in his image. God is a personal God. He has an intelligence. He's, he's intelligence. He, he has emotions. He's an emotional being. And he has a will to choose. And he's given us a free will to choose. Humans are hardwired with some of God's traits. Um, lastly, so that's the impersonal versus the personal God. I don't think you can get personal from impersonal. Um, the last one, the, the nature of personal experience. How do you uh, assess personal experience? And I remember as a college student, when I, talked, when I heard people talk about their experience, you know, I could just laugh and say, yeah, that's, it works for you, or it's true for you. So you've had that experience, great, good for you. How do we evaluate? How do we rate human experience in this question, is God real? C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe in the sun, as I believe the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because I see everything else. The nature of personal experience is just that. It's personal. Uh, if you have experienced something personal, does that mean it's invalid? Because some people would say, if you have a personal experience with God, it has to be invalid. Um, Personal experience is subjective. It's not objective. And so sometimes people will argue because it's subjective, it's invalid. I was once an atheist, and on September 29th, 1974, about 4.30 in the morning, I reached out to God. And I embraced what God said about his son, Jesus Christ. Um, I sensed an overwhelming forgiveness. And I've said it before, I was carrying a weight that I didn't even know I was carrying until it was gone. And I had this sense of freedom. I sensed that I had been given a fresh start. I found myself wanting to please God. I found myself wanting to put God's will above my will. I found my attitudes and my goals were changing. I found meaning and purpose for my life. Is my experience invalid? Is my experience invalid because you have not experienced the exact same thing that I did? Um... I also found that my experience aligns with many individuals that I read about in Scripture. That there was some truth behind what was happening. 
that my life was changing and being transformed. And that's what happened to some people in the New Testament. I found that my experience was like other people that I had met who had also said they had placed their faith in Jesus Christ. I found those people in small groups and at church. Um, So here's what I want to say. Personal experience isn't everything, but it is something. It does have value. And when you really think about it, it's amazing how many decisions you and I make because of our personal experience. Not necessarily scientific knowledge, but our personal experience has so much to do with choices. Like, you know, did you consult scientific knowledge when you chose a mate? Um, What about choosing a college? What about buying a car? How much goes on personal experience? How about making friends? How about deciding whether you would wear deodorant or not this morning? Personal experience? Or did you do a scientific experiment? They both work. So, we have looked at three options today. God does not exist. Atheism, God may exist. Agnosticism, God does exist. Theism. And, you know, I confess, we've only briefly touched on these things. I personally believe that the evidence for believing that God is real far outweighs the evidence put forth by atheism. Now, um, here's what I'm going to say. Don't stop your search for answers. I don't expect that I answer every question that you might have. Don't stop your search. Next week, we're going to talk about why choose any faith. Um, That may be the best one of the series. I'm going to say that every week. Let's, uh, let's stand. I want to close our time in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity to talk about a difficult question today. Sometimes there's a lot of information that can kind of seem dry or boring. And yet, uh, people have real questions. They're important questions. And they're worth considering and reasoning and helping people uh, understand And I pray, Father, that you'll give uh, people honesty in uh, their search. And that, God, um, you tell us that we can ask and that we can seek and we can knock. So, Father, uh, continue to show us yourself that we might understand, that we might know you, that we might understand why you have created us and what our purpose is. For Jesus' sake, amen.